Good morning. This is Jimmy Williams with Live a Life by Design, your Monday morning moments of motivation. Yep, you got him. You got the doctor of positivity here. I got a PhD, as I tell everyone, in positivity. And I've got a master's in motivation. You're going to take this episode today and you're going to leave this listening time with empowerment. I'm so excited today. I am bringing to you someone that I consider the premier expert in how to achieve and retain clarity, not just in your business, but in your personal life. Today's guest is one of a kind. I got to tell you how I found her is I basically found her through my voracious reading appetite. And I was going through a period of time in our business where I needed to seek out a little more clarity for myself. Although I couldn't define what my challenge was, it came to me when I just was going through Amazon, skimming as we do, and it pops up, you know, those algorithms that know what you're thinking before you know what you're thinking. <laughs> Here this book pops up, says Clarity First. As if it were a beacon from a lighthouse on a dark day of the ocean, I saw this book coming to me almost as if being delivered from Mount Sinai, folks. I mean, this book came down to my face. I said, I've got to have it. Got it off prime. A few days later, I had the book in hand and took to reading. And it was, shall I say, a life changer. And, and for me, this book, and we're going to talk about with Karen Martin today, the real details of why clarity is so important to the success of not just your organization, but to your personal life. So I have actually written some processes in our companies that utilize the foundations of her book, but also I took some of that time and wrote some processes for my life, what I call my routines you've heard me speak on in past episodes. So today it is indeed my honor to welcome Karen Martin of TKMG. Thank you, Karen. Hi, Jimmy. It's so wonderful to be talking with you today. Thank you for inviting me. Well, I am just excited you're here. So I just want to get things started real quickly to say that Karen is a very busy person. She speaks all over the globe. She has held classes now virtually, of course, but she has been all over the planet, it seems like. And I read a little bit of history about you, Karen, and I just need to know, how did you leave the balmy, sunny shores of California to go to the balmy, sunny shores of Dallas? Well, you know, it's uh, duty calls, and my mother is 89. She just turned 89 on tax day, and she has pretty severe dementia that's been deteriorating over the years. And I was flying, you know, every weekend or every, not every weekend, but every other weekend or so. My brother's here, and he just started, you know, getting a little harder for one person to, you know, manage everything around dementia. It's just such a it's just such a bizarre disease. Um, it's been just really, it's been, it's been life changing living in this and learning from this. I mean, the lessons, the lessons in what, in living with someone, she's actually living with me right now during COVID times. Um, the lessons are just numerous every day. And so I feel blessed that I got here, that I chose to come here and that she's with me. Um, and she'll probably move back into, you know, a professional setting after COVID, but um, that's why I'm in Dallas and I don't know what I'll do, you know, um, in years to come where I'll end up. I don't know. Well, may I recommend they have some wonderful beaches in South Carolina as well. Just <laughs> uh, the Carolinas are lovely. Both oh, of they them. are beautiful. Karen, yeah. let's get, let's get started on something. I've just got tons of questions and I know you've got a limited amount of time. So I really want to ask a few questions if I may to help give some clarity to our listeners, and and you use the word in the book ambiguity, and mm -hmm. and you had a phrase or a definition that ambiguity prevents organizations from operating with focus, discipline, and engagement. Can you kind of help clarify that even a little bit more for us? Sure. Uh, so ambiguity is the word that I consider the most polar opposite from clarity, and so you know clarity being operating. You know, you know, without a fog around you and ambiguity and the fog is all around you. And so when you look at organizational performance or even individual performance, it is very difficult to focus if you're not clear 
on what it is you should be focusing on. So in organizations, very often a leadership team, each leader will have his or her own idea of what the top priority is, for example. And you know their leader, their followers or their team members will be going in one direction while another group's in another direction. So that just creates a whole lot of um, chaos. Uh, which is the subject of another book of mine. And it, it just makes it difficult to get anything accomplished or at least accomplish it as easily as it could be if you're all moving in the same direction. Same with discipline as well. No, absolutely. And, and we can't really have engagement in our office, for, for my opinion, until we have the clarity of the goal. Isn't that, isn't that the truth? Absolutely. I mean, how can you kind of wrap your mind around something and become passionate about a direction if you're not clear what that direction is? It's yeah, it's 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 I call it organizational drag that it creates. And and we've all been there, I can assure you. And most of our listeners are entrepreneurs or professionals. And I can tell you exactly the moment when our organization is not moving at its most efficient. You know, we just Mm -hmm. have that that feeling. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it is, you know, it is interesting how once you get tuned into these things, you can start feeling when you're in the presence of clarity and you feel when you're in the presence of ambiguity. And that's what informs a person, you know, that what they need to do to change that either as an information provider or an information recipient. There are things that we can do when we feel like we're not in the presence of clarity. You know, one of the words that I use in our office is a play on the term human beings. And and during this time of disruption, you know, all of our listeners are in the same boat. The whole world now is dealing with this pandemic. I always say that there comes a time that we have to quit being a human being and start being a human doing. How do you feel Mm. about that when it comes to clarity and invoking clarity into that process from moving to from stationary to doing active? Yeah, great. That's a great thought. I love that. Um, So I do think that it's one thing to have an intention. And it's another thing to execute on that intention. I think that's a little bit of what you're talking about as well. And so it, it, there are you know, tangible actions that we have to take, assuming we want to operate in a more clear way and we want to receive more clear information. And it starts with the intent, but then you have to actually do. So you know, receiving information is becoming more comfortable asking clarifying questions. So being tuned in to when you feel the fog and then asking those clarifying questions because you, you know, you people owe that to you. You know, they people owe you clear information and clear requests and clear expectations and sometimes don't understand that they're not delivering that. So you, you know, have a responsibility to help them be able to then clearly communicate with you. You know, that is great advice. And one of the things in the book that I really took to and, and grabbed a hold of was your your explanation of using certain tools or strategies to gain clarity, such as you talk in the book about using targets, incentives, and measurements to enable clarity throughout the entire process. Let's, let's talk a little bit about that. When, when you say targets, are you typically just talking about, hey, I set some goals and here they are? Yes. I mean, performance targets are what I was specifically referring to in that section of the book. And it's, you know, having a desired goal, performance goal that you want to hit. It could be anything. It could be quality, sales. Um, It could be, you know, lower turnover. It could be, um, you know, more innovative products. It could be any kind of a goal where you have a measurement that you can put in place and you set that just like, you know, I want to run a marathon in, you know, three minutes, three and a half minutes, you know, and then you start forth and you start trying to close that gap through practice and, you know, improvements and things like that. Same thing in an organization, you set a goal um, and that's a target. We prefer strongly prefer visual goals because that enables clarity on what the target is and where you are in reference to that target. That is great advice. So would you recommend that it be the responsibility of the CEO, the leader, the whatever you want to call that person, president? It's the onus is on them, is it not to help create organizational clarity? Yes, it is. And it's on the onus is also on them to make sure that they create the environment where clarity can actually even occur. So one of the things we see in a lot of organizations is, you know, a, a leader will say, well, we need to operate with greater clarity. But the minute someone is authentic or they ask a clarifying question, they get smacked down. 
And so you have to make sure that you really want clarity <laughs> when you invite it into the organization, because sometimes, you know, the, the truth can sometimes be difficult to hear, but I've always maintained the truth will set you free. It, 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 it's liberating. No matter how bad the news might be, you have to know what the truth is. And so as a leader, you have to be ready um, and invite the truth, no matter what it is. Oh, I love that. The truth sets you free. I have this phrase in our office because I have a lot of very talented, younger, I have some millennials in the office that, that work with me that come at their, their challenge. I hate the word problem, Karen. It's so negative. So I use the word challenge, <laughs> uh, but you know, so the, the challenge, they, they come toward it to accomplish or overcome it in a far different way than I would. And that really inspires me at times because I'll ask them, I'll say, how did you arrive at this approach to resolve this challenge? And they will explain things to me that give exactly what you said. They, in their minds, had a target that I had painted, but they may have embellished that target. What do you think about that? I mean, does each of us own a piece of that clarity that we must bring to the table? Well, so the targets need to be set and agreed upon by everyone, and they need to be one target for, you know, one measurement that you're trying to do. Now, I'm not suggesting that the leader should mandate what the target is. Okay. All right, people, from now on, we're going to hit, we're going to work toward hitting blah, blah, blah. It needs to be a collaborative discussion about what that target should be and within what time frame you want to reach that target because the time that takes, you know, you can have an aggressive target that takes a year to achieve. You could have a much um, more, you know, close term target that you can achieve in a week or a month or whatever. So you have to be into that. And I very much believe in the concept of catch ball, which is like tossing a ball back and forth between a leader and his or her team to make sure that the people buy in from the beginning on whatever it is. I mean, it isn't just targets, it's everything. Um, but that, that collaborative target setting then helps everyone own it in a profound way. And nobody's going to be like, ah, that darn target, yeah, you know, <laughs> um, it, everyone will be into it and work together as a team to achieve it. You know, one of the things that we do in our offices is what we try to give each, about every 90 days, we have a team strategy meeting that goes over our goals for the next 90 days. Mm -hmm. And what we do is everyone has to give contribution. Now, when I say has to, I'm not bending their arm, but we certainly encourage and set the environment uh, Karen, where everyone can find their own clarity to get to the point of their responsible portion of that goal. Is, is that something you find that you, when you teach across the world and talk to people, is that something you find is, is pretty common? Yeah. I mean, well, well, common, hmm. I, you know, I think that there's a pretty wide spectrum of leaders. You sound like you're on the outstanding leader end of the spectrum um, in terms of even having that conversation with your staff. So common, I'm not sure about, but Effective? Absolutely. Necessary? Absolutely. If you want outstanding performance, then everyone needs to understand what their role is in achieving, you know, whatever the, the target you're setting is. So, so I heard you correctly, just for our audience, you said that Jimmy is outstanding. Is that what you were saying? <laughs> <laughs> that, is, you know, I, I, I don't know you well, but from <laughs> what the little I know about you, you sound like you're a pretty darn good uh, leader and <laughs> You actually operate already operate with a fairly high degree of clarity, and that's not common. <laughs> well, and, and I'm, again, I'm going back, folks. I'm telling you, you got to pick up the book, and you're going to find out how in just a little bit before we close this episode. I believe in it that much that uh, I highly recommend it to everyone. It's actually on our Jimmy's Top Reads, Karen. Our website for livealifeby.design has your book prominently displayed there for anyone that would like to, to buy it. Mm, so Thank you so much. It was a hard book to write. I thought it was going to be so easy to tackle clarity. It's like, how hard could it be? <laughs> it's you know, hard. It's, you hard know, work. it's hard sometimes to find clarity to write a book about clarity. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> indeed. Indeed. You know, your, your book brought out some other areas that I want to dive into for just a moment. And, and this gives a, a presentation within the book of the three levels of knowing who you are as an organization, not an individual, but as an organization. And your, your, your three were, what do you do? What do you really do? And why do you do it? Let's, let's talk a little bit about that. Give us some enlightenment of how you came to those, those questions. Yeah, good question. So I, I've you know always been a student of business literature, and and um, I, I'm always intrigued with the ambiguity that exists around vision, mission, purpose, values, you know, you name it. And purpose to me is 
the most misunderstood of all of them because a lot of people can very clearly say what they do as an organization. Some organizations are good at, at um, describing what they actually do. So the difference between what do you do and what do you really do is what you do might be, um, oops, I'm sorry, I just hit my mic. Um, what you do might be, you know, we, we create, um, we, we make tires or we provide financial services or we provide healthcare, whatever it might be. And what do you really do means what gaps are you closing in the customer's life? So what, what specific you know, benefit do they get from the product? And so it's not about the tire, it's about safety and confidence. It's not about healthcare, it's about a better quality of life. It's not about, you know, financial um, services, it's about confidence and security and all those things. So that's that's the what. The, the why is a much bigger and deeper question. And why is something that a lot of organizations haven't really gotten to. They're stuck in what land? and not able to say, why, why did you choose to go into that business over a different business? What really drove you to start this particular service or provide this particular good? And, and getting to the essence of that is critical to hook in all the employees, all the suppliers, all the customers, and help them really understand who you are. It's a great way to build loyalty, and it drives every decision you make from that point forward once you get that level of clarity. You know, you use the word why. So uh, an acquaintance of mine, I've actually spoken at a large conference that he has been uh, sharing the stage with me on a couple of occasions, or I shared with him, I should say, is Simon Sinek of New York. Mm. And Simon and I stay in contact, not as much as we'd like, but through social media and other means and, and email. And his book, Start With Why, really dovetailed in well with your Clarity First book for me, because without the why, you can't understand the who and the when and the where, in my opinion. What's your thoughts? Uh, well, first of all, I have to, I was just smiling so broadly back here as you're speaking because Simon, so Start With Why was life changing for me, a profound book. And Start With Why is the reason why the book is titled Clarity First. I kept looking at that title and I was like, why do I love that title so much? I mean, it has such energy and I just kept thinking and thinking. And I happened to meet him in person, sat next to him on a flight. And it was right after that flight, I came back. I got Start With Why off the shelf again. And that was when I said, Eureka, I'm going to title my book Clarity First. So he was a huge, he's, you know, continues to be a huge influence in, in my thinking. Um, so I got so excited about mentioning Simon. <laughs> Got your question. <laughs> well, well I, I want to say the dovetailing of your book, like you just said. I mean, basically, the um, the book Clarity First came out of your understanding, thinking, and reading of Start with Why. And my importance here is to say, if we can't clearly define the why, we can't find the who, what, and where. Right. And he does a brilliant job at explaining the difference between purpose and mission and those kinds of things. And you can commingle them in one statement per se, but you have to be clear which part of the statement is mission and which pur is purpose. No, that is good advice. So, so really what do you do is far more than just putting out in your, your scenario, the tires. And as you said, why, why do you really do it? Or what do you really do? You're putting out safety, security. I always try to draw pictures. And, and as I said earlier, I'm visual. And so when I ask people, what do they think we really do in our office, our, our A-plus clients, we call them, and they will say something that has totally unrelated boundaries to what we do in terms of rebalancing portfolios, selecting investments, taking care of the risk, so forth. What they come out and say, they go, you helped me send my grandchild to a university she desired that was a private school that was far more costly than any public uh, you know, sponsored school, or, or they'll come out and say, you secured our dream of having a new home on the ocean as well as one here in the, in the Midwest. And we are now living our dream out there. And those kinds of things really bring goosebumps to me. Do you feel that way sometimes when somebody talks about what you've done to help their organization? Yes. And, you know, one thing, a point of clarification uh, is that why is nearly always emotional. The answer to the question why is an emotional feeling thing. And, you know, we've been, many of us have been programmed. You don't talk about emotions when it comes to business. Oh my goodness. What are you thinking? That's blasphemy. You know, but, but really that is when a customer, even something as 
esoteric and seemingly not very sexy as like a you know a, a tool that someone uses in the oil industry to do something with an oil rig you know it, it's not very sexy but when you think about you know the level of safety that might provide or the ease of doing work so you don't have to you know have so much effort in going to work or whatever that is it's always emotional and so what you're describing for your business and what these people are, are relaying to you, absolutely. It's like, that is the why. That is that is the emotional impact you have on people because they can send their kids to college or get their dream home or whatever it might be. And it's beautiful. And I love your statement. We have the comment I use with our team that says, every major decision has the emotional component or it'll never get made. Hmm, I like that. That's a very good little moniker or, or phrase to keep in mind. I do want you to know you have granted lifetime license to use anything I say today, Karen. So <laughs> ditto, ditto. <laughs> so, so let me ask you a couple other questions that's on my mind that I needed some clarity around. When, when we do find our clarity with our team and we're ready to move forward, what's the most difficult challenge for those of us that are leaders regarding an understanding of value flows in the organization? It seems like I can tell you at every segment of our process, how the value continues to transition through the process to the final output. Tell us why leaders find this such a difficult task. Well, you know, I think that everyone approaches work through a functional lens. And what I mean by that is that we grew up, um, I mean, even millennials have still grown up in a world where there is a hierarchical org chart that can be drawn, whether you have one or not is a different question, but it can be drawn. And typically we organize around the kinds of work being done. So we have these different functions. In a large company, it's, you know, more common that it's very heavily functional. Base. You've got the finance department, the operations area, the sales and marketing area, et cetera. And so leaders tend to be pretty well versed in their silo, as we call it, and know what's going on there. But they're not really well versed in connecting the dots all the way from a customer request to delivering on that request, which is what the value stream is, as we call it. And so it's it's very important to become clear about the entire value stream. You'll make better decisions as a leader. You'll allocate money differently and how you're spending money. You'll be more tuned in to what the voice of the customer is and all of those things. And you can organize a more efficient operation through understanding that value as well. But it typically takes like, you know, some concerted um, focus time to understand the value stream and write it down, draw it out so that you can see it and you can see how work is flowing from request to delivering on that request. So if you want to use one of my catchphrases anytime, I, um, I have this phrase that you're not thinking unless you're inking. And what I mean by that is, is I always think with pen and paper in hand, just to take it from the mind of the abstract to the actual tangible on the paper. And now, granted, I'm not an art major, Karen, I'll promise you that. I'm far from that. But I do like to put on paper things that help me think out loud so that I can then communicate and show that to my team. And they're very good at reading Egyptian hieroglyphics. I didn't know if you knew that. So <laughs> That's good. No, uh, it, it's, you know, it's interesting. The work that I do is laced in lean management, which originated with Deming, who then went to Japan after World War II and taught the Japanese. And then it got kind of reimported back to the West as lean management after, through studying Toyota. And one of the most important lessons from that whole study, um, and, and it continues to, to, we continue to study Toyota, is they draw pictures for everything. And a picture is indeed worth a thousand words. And um, it's you know, like visuals are so important and drawing is a way to learn more deeply and to get, you know, the, the stickiness of a concept is greatly enhanced by drawing. So you're going to laugh. I actually use this. Um, it's a tool I learned with, from one of my coaches, strategic coach, Dan Sullivan out of Chicago. I use this tool called the impact filter a lot that helps me bring clarity. So it tells me what is my ultimate goal look like? What does success really look like? And you have to color that out. And it's a very nice dynamic one page form. And I hand those out to our team. Anytime we have a new process that we're going to implement or create or also a new service or something of that nature, and uh, I will tell you that it's amazing to me. You mentioned the millennials. They can take any kind of concept with their type of education. And, and you look a lot younger than me. You may be a millennial, but 
my point <laughs> is, is your mother at 89 had you at a very late age. I can tell you that. But <laughs> my point is, is these millennials have really shocked me in terms of how they think differently, a methodical, but yet different way. What, what's your take on millennials contributions to this clarity process? Oh my gosh. I love the millennials. I love them so much. So I think that the beauty of the millennials are that they are just challenging paradigms and kicking the tires and, you know, asking for change in a way that not many generations before them have I don't know that any generation has done it to the extent that the millennials are doing. And, you know, it's so easy to get stuck in our ways. And it takes, you know, someone challenging us to move us. I mean, look at what COVID has done for us. There's been such profound innovation and and flexing our pivoting muscles and ability to become more agile. And there's been so much good. There's been horrible things also, horrible, horrible. Um, but there's been so much good and silver linings that this situation has presented to us for those of us who want to seize the day and, and, and take these lessons and move forward. That's the same kind of level of kicking the tires and, and challenging things that I think the millennial generation is doing. And I I just say, thank you, thank you, thank you, millennials. Keep doing it, man. Keep kicking. You know, you're, you're going to laugh. You said pivot. One thing I, I want to bring to attention to is I just last week, uh, our team issued an episode of Live a Life by Design podcast that's titled Finding the Positives of the Pandemic. And mm. you're exactly right, Karen. We're going into the areas of saying, what can we take from this disruption of life, this disruption of work? disruption of family what can we take of these realms and find that are positively impacting us enough that we're going to carry forward after the pandemic has been hopefully eradicated what are some positives can you find with your team at tkmg for example that you're going to continue after this that you hadn't been doing before the pandemic you know it's uh interesting how we're, we're all virtual we've been virtual for 26 years now so we're not under one roof so we didn't have to adjust to that type of disruption. But what's been interesting is just connecting with people on a deeper level because of the disruption in their personal lives. And, you know, in my case, it's bringing my dementia, you know, lace mom in with me in another um, of our team members has a small baby and they're just so cooped up in a one bedroom apartment with this baby that they now can't get out, you know, and do the things that they were able to do pre um, pandemic. In another case, you know, the guy was in the middle of trying to move to a new apartment and everything got shut down and his, he had to renew his lease for another year, which he really doesn't want to be there for another year. So, you know, it's, it's put all kinds of constraints on us, but these are all conversations that without the pandemic, I don't know that we would have had. And so I wouldn't have learned all of these um, challenges that they're dealing with in their personal lives that, you know, it, you can't dissociate work and, and personal. I mean, they're, they're commingled now, especially. And um, I just think that um, I want to carry that same level of connection forward, no matter where we move into. I'm glad you brought this up. So you've been virtual, working virtual with your team for like 26 years, you said. So how do you, as the leader of 26 team members, total counting you, I'm assuming, how do you bring clarity when you're not in that room with the whiteboard or the, or the, the, the smart board and you're drawing things out? How do you utilize your communication approach to defining clarity for your team? Yeah. Um, so good question. I am um, also learning all the Zoom, the Zoom bells and whistles. And so I haven't, uh, my goal this afternoon is to learn the whiteboard aspect of Zoom, but I use PowerPoint a lot. So I'll do a screen share and I'll draw using PowerPoint live real time. And um, I've been doing mapping with clients, value stream mapping and process level mapping using just PowerPoint and, you know, walking through the process steps. And so I, I haven't, discarded the need for visual during this whole thing. Um, and I also will put a Word document up and just start writing lists and things that people can see. And so um, it, it's definitely not all conversation. In fact, I highly, I highly recommend not just having a conversation, but using screen share. And then you can give people control of the mouse and they can take over and they can write and they can draw. Uh, or you can actually, you know, switch screen share from your screen to their screen. So it, there's a lot of um, kind of quick and easy ways you can see visually what you would otherwise you know, not be seeing. Karen, that is great advice. And we are doing the same in our companies is learning to use these 
technological advances far more than I'll be very frank with everyone listening I've ever had to before. I, like I said earlier before we started our recording today is I generally have a team. I have some IT people that set everything up. And now guess what? Jimmy's got to learn some of these things that I used to just delegate and didn't give second thought to, to be very frank. So that's great advice. Um, I, I do want to say, though, there's one thing that I have learned quickly about Zoom meetings that will keep your your team and those engaged in that particular meeting really uh, awake and keeping things involved is to surprise them. So what I do, not every meeting, but I'll tell you, Karen, to keep them shocked, I may have a, a Richard Nixon mask on when they pull up the old video. I'll wait to be the last one to turn the video on. And uh, you wouldn't believe the laughter I get and some shocks. And uh, also I was Zorro uh, one time. And, and so I just do some things to kind of lighten the mood, if you will, during the pandemic. What, what's your thought of using humor to help bring clarity to your team? Oh, humor is great. And it is great for so many reasons. I mean, it, it's been proven that laughing and smiling open up, you know, and get your neurons firing in a new way. So it's, it's much easier to be innovative than when you're feeling grumpy and, you know, kind of closed down neurologically. And so uh, I love the humor. Um, you know, so it's when you mentioned the masks, I was reminded of a team that was, we, we promote this uh, management practice known as huddles, daily huddles. And we've had hu virtual huddles for this whole time. But I had a client where they were under one roof, this is pre-pandemic, and most of the team was huddling physically together um, in front of a performance board every morning. And there was one guy in Wisconsin. This was a California-based client. And it was this one guy in Wisconsin. So what they did that was so fun, they got a cardboard cutout of this guy. He didn't know it. They had a picture from a party or something that he had come to. And they got a cardboard cutout of him, life-size made. I actually helped them find the vendor for that. And then they had these different hats. And they had a fedora, they had a baseball cap, they had a like a cowboy hat, and they would put him up in front of the, the team and they would use a video cam for their huddles. And every day they would surprise him with a new hat and say, okay, you're going to be a cowboy today. And it was, <laughs> it was so much fun. And the team bonded in a much more profound way through a little humor. So it's, um, it's lovely. So can I give you, you a comment? One of the millennials on our team uh, paid me, oh, just a, a few weeks ago. And it was, it, I really took it to heart. I know he was just uh, kind of teasing a little bit, but he said the phrase, now keep in mind, I'm 55, uh, Karen. So I, I'm a lot, lot older than these millennials, but I, I love what he said. He said, you know, Jimmy, when you offered me an opportunity to come work with you, because I don't like the way people work for me. I like people yeah. to work with me. He said, you know, I thought I'd like you. He said, it turns out you're pretty cool. And I said, well, can I ask a question? Does pretty cool relate to, hey, I really enjoy what I'm doing. I'm going to stick around and be the next succession. <laughs> so. That's excellent. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I'm with you on the word with versus for uh, big time. It's, it's so funny. Let's talk a little bit and shift over. So now what we've done, we've got clarity of our goal. We've got our, our process written now, if you will. And we've got the team buy-in. Talk to me about key performance indicators and what is their role to help people stay, if you will, focused, but also reward at the end of the day for purposes of meeting the goal? Yeah, so the KPIs in most organizations, there's different levels of them. So there's overall organizational key performance indicators, and, and they need to be balanced. So all too often, we see just financial indicators, but operational indicators are really important. And I recommend that leaders think about two big buckets, what's critical to the customer and measure that, and what's critical to the business and measure that. But at a high, high level, no more than nine for large organizations and no more than four or five for small organizations. So keep your eye on the relevant few instead of the trivial many. And this is, again, at a dashboard level. You might need to measure other things, but at a dashboard to keep people focused, no more than four if you're a small company, no more than nine if you're a big company. And, um, and then that there's a, usually one or two other levels that get closer and closer to the frontline work. And, and the kinds of things that they measure are, I recommend that you pick the gaps that you want to close and not measure what's going well, but measure what's not going the way you would like it. Or, or if you want to raise the bar, that's what you pick to measure and keep people focused on closing that gap through improvement cycles. So, so we could spend a day, folks, on what she just said. I hope everyone heard that clearly it was. We're going to put KPIs in places of where we need 
improvement, not the things that are just going well, but look at those things we can have improvement to raise the quality or level of the entire process. Is that what you're saying, Karen? Yes. And getting clarity on where you have, what are the gaps that you want to close as an organization? I mean, I I talk a lot about life is just a series of gaps to be closed or life is just a series of improvement cycles to be, you know, to be started and, and completed and then started and completed. And if I could also go back to something we talked about earlier, you mentioned the P word, as I call it, problem, and using the word challenge instead of problem. So this is something I think I mentioned in both the outstanding organization and in Clarity First, but it might have only been Clarity First, that I have um, always loved the word problem for this reason. You know, there's a lot of emotional baggage people have because they've been penalized for problems, but problem carries, the word itself carries a sense of urgency that an opportunity or an opportunity for improvement, maybe even a challenge, doesn't carry quite the sense of urgency that a problem does. And I I work really hard to get people to recognize that a problem is nothing more nor nothing less than a gap to be closed. And get the emotionality out of it. Like, you know, it's like, oh, the sky is falling. Yeah, it's just a gap to be closed. And, and most importantly, stop blaming people. It's processes and work environments that create gaps. It's not people who create gaps. Um, and it may be the lack of process that creates a gap. Um, and so if you can get that emotionality out of it and look at things more objectively and you know, methodically, logically, unemotionally, um, it's just, I, I love the word problem. So I'm a, I'm a big fan. <laughs> well, that's okay. Now, we're not all the same on here. Okay? <laughs> You'll find one thing on Live a Life by Design, Karen. We appreciate differing opinions all the time. If you like the show, please tell your friends and family about it. Also, we would be very appreciative if you would leave a review of the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, quickly, too, then let me let me throw this at you and see what you think. But when you say we have these gaps that we need to close and we can't look at the person, but we need to look at those gaps unemotionally, I believe, now this is just Jimmy Williams, but I believe it's it's incumbent upon me as the leader to take responsibility for those gaps. If I did not make the end result clear enough or I didn't provide the clarity in the process for the team to close that gap in a way that I had expected. Does that, does that sound Absolutely. Absolutely. You have to own your own your stuff, (laughs) own your contribution to gaps. Yes. You know, and I I will tell you then, if that's the case, I am the gap master. (laughs) (laughs) You're the gap creator. (laughs) That's it. That's it. I bet you're not that much of a gap creator. (laughs) I I just like to have a lot of fun on this podcast, Karen. I promise you. So you you did something in the book too. You you reported something on the book that I I love, Henry Ford. You know, people look at Henry Ford and say, oh, he's the father of the automobile. And I say, no, he's the father of process building automation. This guy, of course, put together the first automation line for the assembly of an automobile. And you put a quote in there. I love this. And I want you to go dive in a little bit and explain some of this to me. But you put, most people spend more time and energy going around problems than in trying to solve them. Why is that? Yeah, good question. Um, Well, first of all, you know, I think there are two ways of thinking about problems or gaps to be closed. One is to love them and embrace them and be excited by them. And one is to fear them or be dragged down by them and be, you know, feel defeated by them. Um, And I do think there's a little bit of native mindset in this whole world. I love gaps to be closed. I thrive on helping people close gaps. Um, but there are other people that, that, that don't really enjoy it so much. So what, what we have to do is just understand a basic math fact. And that is that a problem that is unaddressed is costing money and it's costing time and it's costing emotional drain. Um, and the more that it is there, the more frequently it occurs, the more money, the more time, the more emotional drain. And so it's incumbent upon us to just put our big boy pants and big girl pants on and, and, and look at what the, what's the gap, what's the root cause for it, and what are we going to do about it, and move on. It's, it's you know, there, people avoid these things, and I, you know, it's just it's just, it's almost irresponsible to not have a problem-seeking mentality as a leader um, and and want to know about gaps. 
You know, I always liken this to any organization of which I've been a leader of not-for-profit or anything of that nature, some of my favorite charities, for example, that people will look for ways to avoid problems. And what I keep telling them is, if you are not facing challenges, we're not growing either in what we offer our, you know, our population we're trying to serve, or we're not growing as an organization to be ahead of those that are competing with us, for example. So I, I just, I tell you, I'm not a problem creator. I, I was teasing about being the gap master, but I will say this, I am an innovator. I always believe there's kind of that Steve Jobs effect where there's always a better, more simple way to accomplish this. Mm. Absolutely. There's, you know, it's, that gets back to my comment about like life is a perpetual you know, series of gaps to be closed. And, you know, there, it's a bit of a career hazard to do the work I do. And you might be hinting that this is something in your uh, world experience as well. You know, I, I had a, um, I was raising a boyfriend's kids for part for a while. And um, the daughter was just oh, such a great teacher on so many levels. And one day she said to me, you know, one of the things I'm observing about you is you're never satisfied. And it was you know, like a bullet between my eyes and a, you know, a stake to my heart when she said it. But I looked in the mirror and I said, well, geez, yes, that is so true. And it's because that's my career is looking for gaps to be closed. So I am never satisfied. I do always want to raise the bar. But it was just very it was a great reflection back to me about how you know you can take things to an ex excess and um and apparently she felt i had you know hit that excess point and it was it was a great lesson so you're gonna laugh i uh speaking with our minister at one time she asked me this question and um she says jimmy how do you balance ambition and contentment mm. and i looked at her and i said you know I've, I've never thought of that pastor how do i balance ambition and contentment i said well let me just say this I am very content with my ambitious attitude. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, it's an inter it's an interesting question, and I think some I think you know. Let's talk about like workaholism for a moment. I think people often kind of commingle working with necessarily unhappiness or avoidance, and there are people who are hardwired, and I'm one of them, to get such incredible joy and fulfillment through work doesn't mean I don't have relationships and it doesn't mean I don't have great and lots of relationships, but my primary fulfillment does indeed come from my work. And, you know, I, I just take, you know, almost offense to someone that assumes that, that it can't possibly be true, but it's also different when it's your own company. You know, if I were working for someone else, I'm not so sure I'd be so joyful with my work, but, um, my boss is pretty nice, you know? Well, I've heard she's outstanding. That's the only thing I've heard. So I, I can't really relate. Like I said, I don't know her well, but I've heard she's outstanding. Right. And so so let's let's kind of dive a little deeper onto your CLEAR method. That's C-L-E-A-R method that you utilize for problem solving. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to embarrass you a little bit here, if that's okay, Karen, is that we use your acronym for our purposes of solving issues and challenges in our companies. I just love this part of your book. So I'm going to have to tell you, I may have to get you to send me another book. I've highlighted dog-eared and all this stuff throughout this entire section so badly you can't hardly read it. But let's talk about the C of clear, clarify and break down the problem. How important is that to get started on the resolution process? It is critical. You cannot possibly go to the experimentation phase without a very deep understanding about what the problem actually is. So most of the time, people who have not been kind of indoctrinated into scientific uh, problem solving and critical thinking that comes around that, they'll just assume that the problem is either, they'll frame it in either in terms of a solution or in terms of a root cause. So for example, someone might say, well, our problem is we don't have enough call center uh, people to handle the volume of calls that are coming in. And, you know, if you really look at the problem, that's not the problem. The problem is why are those calls coming in in the first place? If, if it's a sales thing, then those calls are a good thing. If it's a service call center, those are not great calls to be getting. And so and so you have to then think, well, why are they calling? And and what can we do about that? Not solve for the people, the number of people you have. So there's just getting clear on the problem. And then if it's complex, which a lot of problems are complex, they have multiple you know, reasons for them. You have to break it down and pick one piece 
to work on at a time because it'll, you know, drag you down to try to fix, you know, um, boil the ocean or, you know, Rome wasn't, wasn't built in a day type of thing. Um, so it's, it's critical. So, so really the, the thing we look for at that is we try to get more granular in this process uh, or this portion of the process, I should say, because that in the granularity of it, it gives us the opportunity to see the tangents we may take to resolve the issue. Does that make sense? Yes. In fact, in the book, I use a, a funnel image to show that you know, maybe you're starting with some kind of vague notion of a problem, but then as you go through the process and answer the questions under the sea of clear problem solving, you're getting clearer and clearer and you're narrowing in more and more and more on the truth of what you really need to solve and then the reasons why that, that exists, that, that, that gap exists. Great stuff. Continuing on with our acronym. So the letter C is clarifying, but the letter L stands for learn about the problem and what's causing it. What's your best hack or strategy you can give someone to utilize this particular uh, measure of the acronym? Well, there are two kind of classic and very easy root cause analysis tools that are good mental models to use every day in life. And one's called five whys, where you ask why, 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 and five is not necessarily the number. It could be four, it could be 10. You know, um, you keep on asking that uh, question why until you get down to something that um, is, uh, can, you can do something about. And then you experiment to see if the countermeasure, which is the action you take, and we call that a countermeasure as opposed to a solution, because solution has a sense of permanence and it's in rock and it never changes. Um, countermeasure is a little more flexible. When conditions change, you do another round of improvement. And so the five whys can get you pretty far down that path, at least for simple problems. For more complex problems, there's a, a thing that's called a fishbone diagram, also known as a cause and effect diagram. That is, it has, you know, classically six spines coming out or six um, spokes coming out from the spine of the fish. And you label them with six different buckets of, of possible root causes. So this is a brainstorming tool. And it's really helpful to get a team together and say, well, what are all the process-related issues that could be causing this? What are all the people-related issues? And I don't mean blaming people, but you know, people maybe not having a sufficient training or whatever it might be um, that's causing the problem, or the um, equipment-related ones, or the financial ones. Or you, can, you, can do, uh, you can label these six spines anything you want that makes sense for the type of problem and just brainstorming it then you have to actually you know figure out well which ones of those are the actual root cause or causes um, but those two get you going pretty well man that is a great description and that is an excellent item possibly a deliverable that you can have uh, to hand to someone on your team to get some input from their perspective of the problem uh, so I love that diagram you had in your book so the next one, the letter E in this acronym is experiment with countermeasures. What, what do you mean by that? Yeah, so in the C and L phase, one of the things that you end up with, if you want to call like an, an output or a deliverable from the C and L, is a hypothesis. So a hypothesis is an if-then statement. We believe that if we do blah, 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 then we expect this to occur. And so the E phase experiment is testing that hypothesis. And so you want to, you know, set up an experiment. And this is, you know, this try this this part of it is really critical because it's breaking our habit of just assuming we know and putting something into place and not having adequately tested it to see whether or not it actually will help. Um, and this, by the way, this whole problem solving thing works very much in life. It's a great parenting skill to have. It's not just for work. So this experimentation is really important. And then you have to observe. You had a hypothesis. You thought if you did this, then that would occur. Did it occur? And if it didn't occur, that's not failure. That just means you're that much closer to knowing what will work. And so it's, um, you know, that experimentation mindset is critical for clarity at every level of problem solving. Oh, I love that. That makes it a lot more clear to me as well. The A in the acronym CLEAR stands for assess the results and adopt, adapt, or abandon. Let's talk about that a few moments. Yeah, so if you do an experiment and it works, whatever it is that you've done and the problem seems to go away, at least you know during the experiment, then you have to decide whether you adopt the countermeasure, as we're going to call it, exactly as the experiment was, 
or if you need to tweak it a little bit, maybe it didn't do quite the job, but it got close. You might want to you know, tweak it a little bit, run it through another experiment, make sure that that actually made it go away, whatever the problem is, and that's the adapting phase. Or if it doesn't prove your hypothesis, you abandon it and you start all over again. And you may need to go back to clarifying what the problem actually is. You may need to go back and rethink what the root cause of it is. So it's a very iterative process of getting to the right countermeasure that's going to actually solve the problem. Oh, man, that is good stuff, Karen. So, so at the end of the day, we really don't know if we've reached our ultimate goal of either process efficiency or effectiveness unless we assess it. It makes no sense. It's kind of like I tell people, I keep a journal and I have for, for years, even since I was in college. And, and it's something I've done to kind of let my mind just kind of do a mind dump, if you will, for lack of a better thing. And, and I can just get paper and pen and I get it down into a journal and I put it away. And these are just my private thoughts. But what I tell people is the real importance that I gain from that, Karen, is going back at the end of the month and going through it and reviewing what I wrote, find out my, my attitude or the environment I was in or what was going on in my mind at the time. Same thing here with solving a problem, it sounds like. Absolutely. That reflection is such an important part of life. And your learning, you know, goes through the roof when you take the time to reflect and active reflection, not just kind of passive reflection where you're right. actively thinking back and reviewing, you know, what happened, what did you do, what worked, what didn't work, you know, all those things. Not blamey, you know, um, but just matter of fact, learning. I love that. So as always, this this lady's so intuitive, folks. She rolled right into the, the final letter, the fifth letter of R of the clear process, and it is roll out and reflect, just like you said. So if we, we assess and everything's great, we adapt it to what we need to do or we adopt it into our process. We've now solved this with a solution. Roll it out. Introduce it to your team and get everyone's buy-in. Is that what we're doing in the R or portion? Yes. And, you know, I want to go back to one thing. We didn't talk about this, but when you're uh, selecting the hypothesis and you're running the experiment, you know, one of the questions I always ask is, who do you think should run the experiment? Who should set the hypothesis? Who should be doing all this? It's the people who do the work not right. the boss lady or the boss man. <laughs> so, it, you know, the people who do the work are the experts. They're the ones that do it day in and day out. So a leader's role is to set the direction and get people excited about the, the, um, the fact that you're even going to make an improvement. But, and then you can define boundaries that they have to operate within, but then you let go and let the people that are the experts do the thing. So when it's time to roll out, people who are going to do the work will have already been involved in designing the work. So it makes it a much quicker uptake and acceptance to, to have that level of involvement. But they, but even those that aren't involved, they have to be adequately communicated with why does this matter? What's the purpose of this change? What was wrong with the other way? They have to have a psychological readiness for any kind of change. And, you know, you can, change management melts away when you do this right. You don't have to manage change because it's just part of the process. And then they have to be trained. If it's something you're doing new, they have to be trained. It has to be error-proofed if it's something that's going to be kind of ripe, rife with errors. Um, and, and then you have to make sure that it's measured and that you're watching it and then reflecting back on the whole process. The key, I think, too, that I'm taking from what you just said, Karen, was I, as the leader, need to set the strategic vision but lead the tactical approach to those that are going to utilize or to help take the ball over the goal line, so to speak, at the end of the day. Yeah, you know, it's most leaders are, you know, most leaders, not all, are pretty extroverted. Um, and most leaders have gotten into a leadership role because they were kind of good at doing something. And it's when you think you know what the solution is, it's, it's a pretty dangerous place to be. And um, first of all, you can be wrong and are often wrong. And second of all, even if you're right, it's disrespectful to rob the people who do the work from the opportunity to grow and flex their innovative muscles because you're telling them what to do. So it's it's critical that you do set that strategic direction and then and boundaries if you know financial boundaries or regulatory boundaries and then let them go, let them do their thing. Man, that is powerful, folks. That that's worth the entire episode listening right there. In my in my, my opinion, is it's just one of those things. Empower the group around you. And I've always tried to surround myself, Karen, with. To be very honest, and if they're listening to this podcast, I hope they are. But my team, I try to find people that have more capability than me 
that I can challenge myself then to live at their level of progress, for example, for the entire team. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And it's, it's, it's critical to surround yourself with experts in areas that you don't carry the same degree of expertise. And it's funny too. So I empower our team with not just the responsibility for certain segments of our services, but also the authority. So I got to be honest with you, I set budgets and help the team with our controllers set the budgets, know what we're going to do, what levels of spending or investment we're going to make in areas. And it's so funny because I'll, I'll go through the office and uh, I'll see something. And I'll go, huh, when, when did we get that? Or what, why are we doing, what is that technology? I didn't even know we had that. And they're going, yeah, we'll show you about it later. Right now, we're just getting it implemented, doing this. And it's amazing. If you'll just give people the opportunities, they will really shine with their talents. Absolutely. I mean, and that, that back to Toyota for a moment and lean management, that is one of the key things is that they have long believed that a leader's role is to develop his or her people. And, you know, and to some degree also set strategy and vision and all that. But, but when it comes to day to day, it's really about developing people so they can become the best version of themselves and they can, you know, fulfill, you know, fulfill whatever potential they've got. And, you know, when someone is firing on all cylinders, it feels pretty darn good. And much of the time when we walk into an organization, we'll see at least portions of the organization where people are being squelched and stunted and, and not being allowed to use their, either their existing talents or to build their potential into existing talents. And it just, it breaks my heart. Yeah, when you say pretty darn good, when you say I'm realizing their talents, are you saying it's like when I got a, I don't know, par four and I'm in there on a birdie and I make that last putt and it's just really great? Is that what you're, I'm trying to understand. Um. Yes. So, <laughs> yes, that's it. That's you're it exactly. Too deep here, Karen. I got to bring it to areas of life <laughs> I understand. It's a, it's a birdie putt means that I got one under par. So I'm, I'm good. <laughs> So Good. Just want you to know that's a circle on the card, Karen, not a square. Uh, circle. Yeah, but you know what? If it doesn't have a windmill on the golf course, I don't play. <laughs> You're like my wife. My wife says, "Does it spit my ball back?" No, honey, we've got cards. We've got to go. We've got to go get it. Hey, uh, a couple of things before we close out. I love the fact that you've got the three types of clarity. Uh, these individuals are pursuers, avoiders, or blind. Let's talk about those three. Give me some definitions for each of those three real quickly. Okay, let's start with blind. So blind is kind of a neutral um, position where you don't know that you're not being clear as a communicator, or you may not be fully aware that you're not receiving unclear information. And so don't know to ask the clarifying questions. And in both cases, awareness is what helps you move from that Um, blind to a more active and intentional receiver and communicator or or provider of information. Clarity pursuers are, you know, some people consider them annoying and, um, and I don't, I think clarity pursuit is a noble cause and a noble place to operate from. And so it's people that are constantly, you know, making sure they understand the expectations the uh, customer requirements, the process, that whatever, before they start taking action. And, and as an information receiver, people, I'm sorry, as an information provider, people are being clear um, and checking for clarity by asking people to, you know, repeat back, and not literally repeat back exactly what I said, but to somehow you test to make sure they really did understand what you said, because sometimes we think we're being clear and we're so not being clear. And so you have to test for that to make sure that um, that there's that. Now, the worst case scenario is the clarity avoider. And the clarity avoider goes all the way from sociopathic, you know, lying, deceit, um, fraud, you know, all of that stuff to just um, of not wanting to know about the problems or maybe not wanting to hear the answer to the question and not asking the question because you don't want to know. And, you know, a lot of times in, per- in our personal lives, we get into clarity avoidance uh, more than we should. And so you'll see that someone will be an avoider in one setting and a pursuer in another setting. So it's not like you're all pursuer or all avoider or all blind. It does morph depending on the conditions. You know, at the end of the day, I'm afraid you've pegged me absolutely correctly. Even though you only know me for a few moments, we've exchanged some emails, talked on the phone a little bit. I've never met you in person, have I not? I'm being truthful. Uh, oh, 
nope, but I will tell not. you, you, you peg me. I'm a pursuer. I've always been the guy that goes, why, why? And my dad, I'll never forget. Mm-hmm. I'm the youngest of six, Karen. And the reason I'm the youngest of six is we only got three channels, but I'll, I don't want to dive into that uh, on the TV that is, but anyway, <laughs> you may not get that unless you're a large family from a rural city in Oklahoma. But my, my point is, is that I'd always ask, why when dad did something and finally he got to the point i'll never forget this i was about five years of age before i even got to school and he said when you get to school son do not ask why of your teachers every time you hear them say something and i go but dad how do i understand i was five and my dad said i use the word understand and and uh, so i don't know if that's a, a good thing of me being a child prodigy karen i don't know what it is but my point here you've made is I'm a pursuer, I believe, because I think I get on people's nerves going, I don't understand. We've got to find why this is doing this so we can fix it. That's kind of my attitude. <laughs> well, well, two things. Yeah, spot on and, and good for you for being that, a clarity pursuer, because we, if we were all clarity pursuers, we wouldn't have wars in the world. We wouldn't have political strife in the world. I mean, it's, it's ambiguity is the cause of a lot of bad stuff. So it's not something that we want to spend much time in, in that space. Um, so two things. One is, um, you know, that being a child, kids are born with natural curiosity. All kids are born with natural curiosity. And little by little, it gets kind of drummed out of us through well-meaning, otherwise well-meaning parents and teachers and early bosses and things like that. So every leader, it's incumbent upon that leader to kind of you know, reignite that natural curiosity. And sometimes people won't feel safe doing it until you provide a very, very clear, safe environment for curiosity to reemerge. And so that's one thing. Second thing is I love my mom and I, uh, right before she got dementia, we were still able to talk about my childhood and she would say, Oh my God, you were such an annoying kid. You know, why mommy? Why mommy? Why daddy? Uh, Why, why, why? And I just always smile and I look at her and go, and you know what? Thank goodness. I found a career where I get paid to ask why. I love and that. It's just a beautiful thing. I love it. So Karen, again, I, I'm not inferring anything, but I think we have far more in common than we disagree on in this life. I tell you, uh, <laughs> sound like we're both trying to pursue what we consider to be the best of life. And I agree totally that the peace on this world could be found if we had more clarity and communication among the different leaders of governments over the globe. And uh, I just wish that we could all put aside those differences that we may have a few and really focus on the clarity that is the overarching uh, goal of all of us on this planet to live in peace. But uh, that's for another podcast. Uh, But let me ask you this, Karen, we've had a great discussion here. I've taken a lot of your time today and I thank you so much. But what would you leave our audience with if you could just give one real nugget of inspiration or information? What would you leave them with? You know, I think the most important traits in life for anyone to develop, whether you're a leader or, um, you know, a husband, a wife, a sister, a cousin, a best friend, whatever you are, um, I think is to operate with humility and clarity. I'm sorry, humility and curiosity, both of which are uh, pre-requirements to operating with clarity. Um, it's very difficult to be clear if you think you know everything and it's very difficult to um be clear if you don't seek out which by asking why and those kinds of things, which is a, a sign of curiosity. And what I tell people that are afraid to get rid of the armor and operate with humility or afraid to, you know, ask the clarifying questions and be curious is you, you got to try it. You just got to do it and see that the world does not come crashing down around your shoulders or your knees or your, or your ankles that, that in a safe environment. And again, it has to be safe. I mean, we all are, have instincts of, um, you know, fight or flight type of thing. So it, in a safe environment, it is absolutely acceptable and it's desirable to operate with humility and curiosity, which then lead to clarity and just try it. And the people around you often won't disappoint. They will often support it and love it. And it spreads. It's contagious. Clarity can be incredibly contagious. And it's a beautiful thing. Well, let me just say, if I have my choice today, Karen, I would rather take clarity over COVID-19 as a contagious item. I promise you. (laughs) Indeed, indeed. But COVID-19 has given us a lot of great um, opportunities to, to test clarity and to play with clarity. 
I yeah. love it. Hey, this has truly been my honor, Karen, to host you today on Live a Life by Design. I want to thank you so much for taking your valuable time today. Folks, Karen is so busy. She's got a wonderful career, a great team. She's got several books. We're going to put in our show notes for you to, to get on her website, look at her books. We're going to also have a link to her book on our website for you. Please contact Karen at her website, tkmg.com. You can find her there and her team will be glad to book her for any speaking engagement that she is available for that your team would like to seek greater clarity in your organization. Karen, thank you again so much. Jimmy, thank you so much. This has been a really nice conversation and I, I love that you're tuned in to Clarity the way you are and thank you for having me on the show. It's been indeed our pleasure and look forward to next week as I give you the challenge for this week is to go first buy the book that Karen has available for you. It's called Clarity First. It truly is a game changer. If you take this book to heart, don't just read it, study it, and implement some of those findings in the book. It has done wonders for our companies, and I continue to utilize it. As I said, I've highlighted dog-eared. I'm going to probably have to ask her to get me an autographed copy to make up for the one I've used as a textbook. But at the end of the day, Karen Martin, Clarity First at TKMG, the Karen Martin Group. And again, thank you, Karen. Have a wonderful week. And everyone listening, don't forget, go out there today, make the world different for someone else in a positive way and live your life by design. You can get a complete transcript of today's show online at livealifeby.design. If you like the show, please tell your friends and family about it. Also, we would be very appreciative if you would leave a review of the show wherever you listen to podcasts. This has been a Life Master Key production. The program is copyrighted by Jimmy J. Williams and Company, all rights reserved. Our recording engineer is Happy Design Company. Our production assistant is Amy Cotton. Our intern is Brinley.